Welcome to BioCharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. Today we have Gabriel Peters, aka Slick Dissident on YouTube. Gabriel is one of the most symbolically literate people I've ever had the opportunity to talk to. I've watched probably 50 of his videos on the subject on his YouTube channel that goes by Slick Dissident. He is just a wealth of knowledge. And the reason why I wanted to have him on is he is he's sort of a psychonaut that can ride the signals the, uh, the black magicians like to give us through our modern day uh, technology. I, I've, I've been such a fan of listening to him weave with the with the spiders on the on the weaving spiders web on on uh youtube listening to him with chance garten on interverse and uh in our discussion today we really got into it i think we actually figured out how to gauge the change of an age any of you that have followed me through the years know that a huge thing for me is to know when and where we are <laughs> to kind of know the grammar of the situation. Um, I'm a huge proponent that when you have the grammar of your private situation, uh, you can get to the logic and then effective rhetoric. So for you Trivium fans out there, you know exactly what I'm talking of. Enjoy our cast. It, it went long. It was about two, two hours and 30 minutes or something like that. But the good thing about it is, if, if you're on a time constraint, forward it to about minute 40. Because <laughs> from then on, it's just straight gravy train. So enjoy the podcast, and we'll see you on the flip side. So Gabriel Peters, welcome to the BioCharisma podcast. I have to say, it's it's been a long time coming. You and I have been on Chance's Vibrant probably six or seven times. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it, uh, I've listened to about twenty five hours of Marvel comic, uh, Marvel movie. Uh, <laughs> disintegration with you guys still not really understanding what's going on i have to say your synopsis of things is much more entertaining than the movies thank you that's kind of what i get out of it i feel like uh you know i'm not really into the entrainment of entertainment but i do enjoy cracking it open and seeing the mechanics that you know i feel like and I know I give a, a more credit than is maybe due to the producers or the or the artists, but on on some level, I think it does enhance the experience to kind of, you know, see what the spiritual and psychological implications are of what we do consume. That's how. So while while I'm at it, I might as well have fun, right? That's how I that's how I describe you. I say you are by far the most symbolically literate person I know. So, and they're like, well, what's Thank the you. point of knowing symbology? I'm like, well, then you can speak the shadow language. You can speak, you, you can understand the subcontext. First, you can understand the context then the subcontext. And then, as you said, entrainment, what they're trying to entrain mm -hmm. into the subconscious mind. If you, if you wouldn't mind, just give me a little history of how you found yourself diving into this. Cause I know, I know you're an athlete, you know, in the capoeira. Cap, capoeira 
and uh, like, just give me a little background of what got you to this point. Right on. Yes. Uh, you know, one of my most, so yeah, I have been a martial artist most of my life. I think I picked up when I was uh, eight years old. Um, and uh, one of my most defining memories, I was into Taekwondo as a child. Uh, Kicking. Got, oh yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. I got, in a, I got in a scrap on the, with, on the bus with some kids. Uh, and as I was trying to walk away, you know, trying to like, wash my hands and walk away, you know, uh, walking straight home. One of the kids came running up behind me and pounced on my back. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he wanted, he wanted some, you know, some revenge. And all I did was just went with the flow. I just bent forward. My backpack came off mm -hmm. and so did he, and he went into this nice. nasty, nasty spill and he's on the ground looking up at me and he's like, where'd you learn how to do that? And I was like, fuck you <laughs> in the next the next day uh him and the other kid who was in the fight they called they called me they said hey come down to our house we've got to show you something click and i was like so i called my friend i was like yo man they're trying to get some some they're trying to raise a fuss and so we walked down to their house and uh those two kids they come running out the back door in their taekwondo gi in their mm -hmm. in their gear and they come running up to us with their white belts and they just stand there at the same time. And they're like, ready? One, two, three. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, what is this cheesy shit? So, uh, so I ended up joining, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. So I did, I went to the same Academy with, with the kids who were bullying me and we mm -hmm. ended up, you know, working it out over time. Lots of lessons with that. So yeah, Taekwondo was my intro, but in one of my testings, my more advanced testings, uh, I got up to, uh, I was about to get my black belt. So I had the brown belt with the black tip, which is means you're almost a black belt. Mm -hmm. And I'm just about to do the test. And they re in they reinvent the ranking system and they put uh... another they put another belt between me and the black belt. What was it? Red belt? Like what was the next belt? It was the you red belt. I, I remember yeah. that. I remember when they did that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It was it was rough. And think of how uh, how ingenious that is economically. Oh, you know, yeah. It's like the, the typical economic maneuver and they got me. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of the story of my life. That kind of thing has been, it happened to me later in life. I'm like, this is my Saturn pattern here. But um, so yeah, uh, in my testing, I was, uh, you know, totally focused doing my kata and uh, instruct. They had the, the regional instructor. Um, his name was master Myers. He was a, he, he was a, ex-cop and he was training cops he was like you know we called him master mm -hmm. he got that you know that title that we we used to say he was a ninth degree black belt but i think that was mostly mythological i don't know if that's true mm -hmm. and, but during the test i'm like really focused i'm all serious you know like hard-faced and he says so mr peters according to the record books here you haven't been making it to class as usual this past couple months. And I'm doing the moves, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, going through. And he's like, what's, uh, what's your excuse, son? I'm saying, I'm trying to do these moves. And he's like, trying to strike it up a conversation with me. I was like, uh, I'm not really sure, sir. And he's like, what have you been doing that you're not going to class? Well, I'm just sitting around the house watching TV, sir. <laughs> and he says, you know, I really like your honesty. Uh, and I just never forget 
that I was able to like carry on a conversation and step out of the movements and be in my head and present enough to like defend my, uh, you know, him questioning me mentally. Right. And that, and that was a real profound connection in my uh, mental and physical awareness. Mm -hmm. I, for, for one second, I literally separated and mm -hmm. I could be on the two planes at once. And I had never done that. That was like my first time training, like carrying on a casual and respectful uh, conversation while staying in the movement and in the flow state. That's awesome. Yeah. And it, and I just, I know for a fact that I was rewired in that moment. And uh, so how old were you? Uh, I might've been nine or 10 at that point, maybe, yeah, maybe 10 at that point. Um, and so, yeah, I did Taekwondo for quite a while. And then uh, qu I quit for high school sports, got into, I, I'm a basketball player. I mean, just through and through I'm a, from Indiana. I'm a Hoosier. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, born, with, born with a B ball in my hand, six, mm -hmm. five, you know, I had no choice in the matter. Uh, but what's funny is our basketball team was a bunch of D bags and we were very successful. So uh, I did try out and I think I made the first cut and maybe not the second cut, but I, I my heart wasn't in it because I didn't like any of the guys on the team. It's too intimidating. So, I, you know, you get, you go out for the football team and it's an easy, it's an easy fit. There's plenty of spots, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, uh, but what was kind of surprised me is I, as my first year in high school football, I think I was, I think I was a sophomore. No, I was a junior, but they put me in as a starter at the starting defensive tackle position. And so I was, I experienced success that I did not expect. And so that was really encouraging. And so I stuck with it and I kind of let martial arts go by the wayside Mm -hmm. had some injuries got into wrestling had some more injuries uh all along i'm like god i should just be playing now i can't play basketball i'm not going to get back into martial arts these injuries are fucking me up and i'm not doing what i really love because football was not you right know, it wasn't where my heart was at so anyway went off to college injuries uh you know bounced back real quick because i'm young went off to college and uh, i started getting into massage therapy nice and on my first day in massage therapy, everybody does a little introduction and I'm in the front of the class and, you know, I'm the Leo and I'm like super eager to tell everybody how virtuous I am because uh, I'm a martial artist and uh, I've learned the way of the samurai is such that uh, you must have the wherewithal to heal before you can make the presumption of doing harm. You know, and that was kind of my mantra as I was going into massage school. And I was like so proud of myself. And this uh, young, beautiful goddess in the back of the room, she was the last one to, you know, give her little bio. She described herself as a body junkie. Mm. And she was a dancer. She was a dance major from Ball State. Nice. Nice. Yeah. 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 I'm, a, I'm to this day, I will always be a scout. <laughs> a body a body junkie a scout like i cannot help it yes. I, I took these little kids down to the river yesterday you know everybody was involved and they wanted a chaperone i'm seeing i'm just like analyzing the, the kids i'm like ah, oh, he has a long torso and short thought you know i was just like my my scout is always working on that regard Whenever I have somebody on my table too, I'm always just like immediately going through their dosha, like 
I, yeah. I can't I can't help myself. It's just too much fun. Uh, you know what? The fact that you invited me on to have this conversation about this topic, mm-hmm. like hit right to the heart of the matter for me. I was like, wow. Yeah, you are totally a scout. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, because I, I, I can't help myself. Yeah, man, it totally speaks to like my truest nature. It's, I'm I'm really honored that you recognize that and that we we can bring this forward because it is it, it's really uh it's yeah it's very true to true to my nature. So I um, I, I cut you off about the goddess because yeah, I I've well, heard you tell this story before and I want I okay. want to hear I, I want to hear it in full. Yeah. So uh, her name is Anna Peterson, and if she's out there watching. God bless your soul, Anna. Love you, then thank you. Uh, but she, she did. She uh, she introduced me to Capueta. She uh, uh, right after class, she pulled me aside. She said, "You know, I noticed you mentioned you're a martial artist. Uh, what have you studied?" And I start, you know, like you do when you're young. Oh yeah, this and that, this and that. You know, think you know a thing. She's like, "You ever heard of Capueta?" And I was like, "Huh? <laughs> what is that?" Uh, and, you know, that was in, I can't, even, I think I even know, well, yeah, MMA was on the rise at that point. So I knew that there was some funky stuff circulating with the mixed martial arts in the, in that day, in those times. It was kind of up and coming. And uh, so sure enough, she was an instructor. She invited me to the class. My first class, she teaches me a couple of the basics, which are basically get out of the way. Rule number one, get out of the mm-hmm. way. And so I learned all the ways to get out of the way. Um, and it is a very uh, unique uh, body uh, language of the body. Uh, for one, all the movements are in Portuguese. Mm-hmm. So you are, so you have to be in your head translating the language and then conveying it into your body to make sense of what you're hearing, you know? So it's foreign on so many levels. It's like and me in the- ayahuasca ceremonies trying to sing in Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> wait yes, a minute yes. ah, i'm lost <laughs> yes totally and then there's music and yeah. oh it's it's so dynamic i just i was in love totally in love and anna was a serious goddess redhead with green eyes freckles for days mm, i just i was mm-hmm. so in love and so uh at the end of that first class she invites me into the circle it's called the hoda and uh when you go into the hoda you are playing with one another you're not fighting you're playing mm-hmm. so she invites me into the hoda to play and uh and i start uh you know doing that we have a little jig step a lot of people know the jenga the basics and i'm starting to you know get, uh, learn how to walk and she does the first little maneuver at me and i do a somersault on the ground and pop up like a ninja thinking i'm cool and she's like nah 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 see you just went and you got all dirty now you're mm-hmm. all dirty. Right. She's you got to like, look good. You got to look good. The sign of a good capoeirista is that they keep their Sunday bests nice and clean. She's like, so some of the rules here are uh, hands on the ground, feet on the ground, head on the ground, but nothing else. You don't let your elbows or your knees touch the ground, no hips to the ground. That's, that, that's, how, that's some of the basics. I was like, oh, okay. So I get back in. We start over and reset. And she gets me all in the trance, looking me right in my eyes. And she goes into this inversion, into a handstand while looking me in my eyes. And I'm just like mesmerized looking at Mm -hmm. her. And then all of a sudden her feet go into the splits 
and she spins and does a double helicopter kick to my head. And I duck the first kick like, oh, that was cool. And then I tried to come up and there's another kick coming. <laughs> wow. In the whole time, somehow, even when she's backwards, she's still able to track me. She's still locking in my eye. She's watching me mm -hmm. respond, you know, and I expect her to come down and hit the ground and make some kind of boom or, you know, a thud or anything. She just rolls like a cat comes back up smiling and shining mm -hmm. it was amazing it was so amazing and so to this day i can barely pull that move off still i can maybe get the first kick the second kick isn't so crispy she was very advanced she was quite amazing so yeah i was in love and i've been uh, i've been hooked ever since that was at least 20 years ago at mm -hmm. this point so, so capoeira has been my main jam ever since then uh and it really is. It's like it gets you in your body in a whole nother way. And then the ritual of it and the honor and the respect and all of the energies and the many elements involved in the music and the language and the myth and the legends. Oh, it's just it's the full package. So, yeah. When she did that double helicopter kick to your face, was uh -huh. there bossa nova playing in the background? <laughs> yeah, like you hear the little the little instruments in the background like. Totally. It was like the girl from Ipanema. Exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was really good. And you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm just realizing, look at my picture. There's my picture with the girl shooting the arrows with their legs yes. up. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, this is kind of fitting. You got this uh, little, little uh, Sagittarius archer woman doing her Oops. thing. I never even thought of how the, how perfect that is. That is so funny. See, and that's the kind of subliminal thing that'll go under my radar until we have this conversation after I've had this for a year. And I'm what? That is a, uh, that's too perfect. Wow. That's really funny. That's impressive. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The Scythian archers. Yeah, she's she's something special. And that's a uh, so uh, yeah, martial arts uh, capoeira has been my thing. Capoeira has a really cool instrument. It's got the it's called the beatimbao. Mm -hmm. And the be the beatimbao it looks like a bow. Uh, it's a you know it's got a very special wood from Brazil. It's called bariba, mm -hmm. and uh, they string it with a car tire wire. Car tire wire. Yeah, it, there's metal wire inside the rim of your of car tires that's right have, it's really hard to get to and you have to cut it out and clean it and then you can string your beer about because it's actually strong enough to hold the tension uh and i've actually read somebody's a capoeirista's disrotation or a, a research paper on uh the relationship between the beer and bow and the bow and arrow mm -hmm. and even the word beer and bow and bow and arrow have they're just a couple letters off you know what i mean and in that reminds me so much of potty arco you ever take the tea potty arco no uh -uh. so it comes from the ipe tree it's the bark of ipe ipe is a type of mahogany but in brazil they call it they they call it i i'm gonna butcher this arco so it's it, it's a reference to a bow again, 
because they make mm. bows out of this type of wood, but the the oh. bark of that wood is what you take as a tea. It's like one of the best tonic teas in the world. Whoa. Like if whenever we are coming down with anything down in uh, Central America, I would take a little shot of Patiarco and I'd be fine. It's like other than um, the inside of mangosteen. You ever see a mangos mangosteen yeah. fruit? Yeah. The, the inside rind of mangosteen, the xanthones on that are is like the highest in the world. The second highest is the Patiarco. Awesome. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, so the they they named it the teab after the actual wood that they would make bows out of, that mahogany wood that they would make bows out of. That's brilliant. That's super cool. Yeah. I love, I love how uh, everything has that like nothing goes to waste yeah. aspect to it, you know? Definitely. Uh, yeah. So uh yeah, so that research paper about the, you know, the relationship to the musical instrument and the hunting implement. Mm -hmm. And how, you know, they were kind of playing with which came first. And I think, um, I do believe they ended up uh, landing on hunting uh, because uh, the food must supply the festival. Mm -hmm. And so just by that logic, you have to go and get the food with the bow before you have anything to sing and dance about and to mm -hmm. share communally. So I think that was their final their final uh, conclusion that the bow comes first, but only because you need food to bring in the community, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that was kind of fun. And um, so then, at, uh, let's see, I was 30, I want to say 32, 33, uh, and I had my kiddo and uh, uh, I, I, I set up my first archery range up in the mountains in uh, Boulder, Colorado, mm -hmm. uh, and really got into archery. And I really got into it. I mean, hours and hours of like, you know, playing around with this really beautiful range that I set up. Uh, and I started getting into trick shots. Yeah. And, uh, and one thing I was able to do just because of the way that the range was set up, I could back up so far, uh, far enough from the range that I was actually down a hill and kind of behind a tree, so I couldn't really see the target any longer. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I would, uh, I had a little camera. It was like a sporty little camera, and I would set it up on the archery range and record myself walking away, and I would disappear behind the hill, and then it would be, you know, 30, 60 seconds later, an arrow would just come flying up around the hill with an arc, and boom. Hit, hit, hit the target and that's uh, so amazing yeah, i got really into uh trick shots and uh if anybody's interested there's a, a really good archery kung fu movie out there and you have to give it at least an hour to set in it okay. seems it seems like a run-of-the-mill uninteresting nothing special going on kind of movie but there's a twist and they do it on purpose uh, well, you got to get an hour in and you realize there's something really dynamic going on with the film. And it's called uh, War of Arrows. I, be I believe it's a Japanese film. What? I think it's Japanese. All right. Uh, War of Arrows. It has the, the most epic little twist to the plot. And then the, the climax at the end is like, it's like none other. It's a standalone, if, especially if you're into archery. So. 
Well, you'll be happy to know I just got my first crossbow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got this uh, EK Archery tactical multiple shot. It actually looks like a, um, where are those, the, the, where are those tactical guns called the multiple shot ones? The, not AKs. Um, I forget what they're called. They're very popular now. This, um, there's this guy, Jorheg Sprave. He, he invented these magazines that you can do multiple shots at a time. And so I, I've been following him for a few years and now moving back to the States, I was like, oh, I can hunt here. I can do all this stuff. So that's yeah. my first foray into anything that has a bow. Oh, that's super fun. So uh, do, does it, do you cock it? It's like read, this. It's a, it's a lever. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah. it's just ch -ch boom, ch -ch boom, ch -ch boom. And that it's a, cool. it, it's a six shot magazine. That is so cool. That is so, so cool. Wow. Uh, uh, it doesn't, it, does it have a scope? It does. It has a scope. It has a red Ooh. dot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, though, is when you're sighting, when you're sighting a crossbow, is everything backwards? I don't, not that I know. Well, oh, you, uh, you mean on the scope? Like, like my... I swear, like, I can't, like, it feels like my sight, whenever I do an adjustment on the sight, it, feel, it feels like it's, it's going further away from where I'm sighting it. Yes, I think I had, a, I had the same thing. I, I also have a crossbow with the, with the scope, and I did. I had to kind of trial and error to get, and it is. It's counterintuitive. I think you're right. It is inverted in a weird way. It, yeah. Uh, f funny story. My first shot with my, with my crossbow, it's a clunker. It's it's beautiful. It's it's really it's heavy. It's a clunker. It's kind of old. It was a kind of did a pawn shop, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but it's got a nice scope. It's 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 lovely. I love it. But my first shot, I kid you not, it was like a, a Christmas Carol. You'll mm -hmm. shoot your eye out, kid. Yeah. Like a dumbass, I literally put the scope against my eye, uh. and I ended up splitting my third eye. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right on my first shot just clunk and i hit oh man and uh i hit the target but i bled pretty good i bled mm -hmm. pretty good now, at six foot way. five with your reach like are you using compound bows like what are you doing yeah i i have a i love the recurve is uh my favorite um i have a i have one of everything really i have uh my recurve is like my my comfort zone oh mm -hmm. i'm like talking about it gets me um but I, I have a I have a compound that's uh it's pre, it's old also it's like uh you know the Rambo generation, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and that one is loud and obnoxious. But it I mean it hits it's got so much behind it it's crazy. Mm -hmm. You you can lose your arrows they'll go through shit and keep going you know. Mm -hmm. um, but then I also I have a Japanese longbow. Mm -hmm. and my longbow is probably. I mean, it's more than seven feet tall. It's, what? It's a, long, it's a longbow for a tall person. It's a Japanese longbow for an American-made person. It's 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 just immense. And uh, and I have this. My all-time greatest shot ever <laughs> was like uh, 
might i mean i might have my longbow the japanese longbow i've probably shot it a dozen times maybe mm. two dozen times but the last time i shot it might be the last time i ever will <laughs> because it was such an amazing shot this is so funny i don't tell this story much uh in fact i promised uh, i promised chance i would tell him the story when the timing was right and i never got around to it so if he's watching he's getting the story now excellent uh yeah so uh up in the mountains in Colorado, I had a buddy. I used to uh, watch his property uh, way up at the top of a mountain, like uh, with nobody around. Uh, there were neighbors, and uh, and they were within eyesight, but they were on another mountain. You know what I mean? So they were way far away. And uh, I uh, had set up. This is so funny. I had set up a range on his property, and was uh, had used it many times. And it just occurred to me one day that the range is aligned with his trampoline. Hmm. <laughs> and so I was thinking, you know, the trampoline emulates horseback. Ah. And if you, and if you just get like a, a little giddy up going, you know, not like full crazy, mm-hmm. flippy, floppy, crazy, just a little oomph on the trampoline. You literally get the feel you're simulating horseback. Right. So I so I just jumped on there with the with the uh, recurve at first, you know, my comfort zone, and I got really decent uh, on the trampoline. Uh, you hit that that peak, that moment, you know, of where you're hovering for that one second. And it's you know you're anticipating everything. It's almost like you're you're almost taking the shot one bounce before. Mm-hmm. You like take the shot in your mind. And then, and then you live it through on the sec- on next time you come up there, and and yeah, it's it's very dynamic. Um, so I got decent on the trampoline with my recurve uh, from a really good distance. I forgot to mention it was at least forty yards, at least mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. could have been more, but I'm thinking forty yards. And I had a my target was a you know uh, like four or five hay, hay bales size target with just cardboard spray paint little uh, mm-hmm. uh bullseye well that day i had taken a an arizona iced tea can and put it on a stick uh you know upside down on a stick and then i put the stick in front of my target so now i had like this real satisfying tiny little uh uh goal and i got up on the trampoline with my longbow for the first time and I'm and I'm like and it's with the longbow you don't even have a notch you're literally balancing the arrow off your off your knuckle wow you know uh, yeah <coughs> it's really it's totally wrong and I'm getting in the zone and I'm and I took a long time visualizing it you know because the thing is so long it's just so long and you're bouncing around it's like really super awkward and sure enough I pulled it off. I let that thing fly, and I nailed that can on the first shot. Oh man! The most epic. It was the most epic shot. The most epic, like confirmation of the vision that I was building up to. Mm -hmm. And I quit. I put the I I put the longbow down. I said, "I'll never do it again." I'm going away. I'm walking away on a win. Drop, (laughs) drop the mic. yeah yeah and my daughter was there too that was the other thing she actually got to see me pull that off so 
uh, I'm really proud that I got a witness, even though she doesn't care. <laughs> She's not impressed at all. <laughs> hey, so, someday, though, impressive. someday she, she will. She'll be like, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was not impressed. She was just eager for me to get off the damn trampoline. <laughs> yeah, let me get on there. Well, that you, you were just channeling your inner Mongolian, you know. You you're that you were just like I've heard that before. <laughs> that little levitation moment. My wife used to do. Um, I don't know what exactly what she did. I think she was a barrel racer on horses. Now I've heard this with other people oh, cool. that ride horses competitively. Like you get into that levitation moment, and there's like no mind. Exactly. That's it. The no mind. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. That state. I've, I've heard it. I actually. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, uh, well, I ended up meeting a lady out in Colorado who she and her daughter were archers. Uh, and uh, I was helping her move some of her furniture. She had an amazing, an amazing house. And her uh, her work room, one entire wall, was an uh, unbelievable collection of bows. Mm. It just the whole wall was lined uh, at least two rows of just gorgeous recurves, uh, almost all recurves. And she and her daughter uh, trained in horseback archery, and they actually have a specific breed of horse that their gait and their stride is more horizontal and less up and down. There's a specific breed for art for horseback archery. Mm -hmm. And so they were tapped into that community as well. And they were horseback archers. It was super cool. So I got to tell her my trampoline story. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. She she had mad respect for you. So she kind of did, yeah. It, so have you now in all seriousness though have you ever as a capoista capoeirista have you ever gotten in mm -hmm. a break dance fight with somebody uh yeah well yeah yeah i mean uh <laughs> yep um in gosh there's quite a few uh so you know we we do street performances and sometimes you know random folks just want to jump in and you know yeah. try to the, try their luck uh and we have a good time with that and then also you know sometimes uh our whole troop would go out dancing together mm -hmm. and you know we go into a club and the vibe is right or the music hits and hits a note next thing you know like us and our troop, we start playing a little bit, kicking yeah. around on the dance floor, and then the whole crowd starts joining in. And we've started like entire Capoeira bar brawls, uh, you know, in the spirit of love and fun. Yeah. Uh, and it gets a little tricky because, like, you know, you get some rookie who wants to try a crazy move and you're drunk. You got to be careful. It gets wild. So, okay. yeah, I've had a, I've had a ton of improv breakdance fighting in my days. Now, who would win between a capo? A, how do you say it? Capoista? You got it. Capoeirista. Capoeirista versus yeah. a Tai Chi master. Because you both were trying to hide your your mm -hmm. your martial art in some other form. So here's the yeah. parameter. Here's the parameter of the fight. Uh -huh. You're still trying to hide the martial art. <laughs> But you're in a you're in a battle. Who would win? 
Oh, man. Well, I would say the Capoeirista would appear to win on the surface. But as he walks away, he realizes that his shoelaces are tied together and he's missing <laughs> his wallet. <laughs> yes, the Tai Chi master. I, that's been something that's been in my in my mind ever since this whole thing with the... Um, did you see the thing that happened with the the NFL football player that he got hit in the chest and it was like the Pi May five finger exploding heart technique? Oh my gosh, that is such a good call. Yeah, dude. He did. He got the. They call that the Dem mock, the death touch. Yeah, he got the Dem mock. You know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I was just uh, like immediately when they said that nobody was willing to, uh, you know, actually talk about what exactly. He's a bill. He's a Buffalo bill. Precisely. Oh my gosh. The levels of meaning, the levels of meaning just keep coming forward from that whole thing. Thank you for that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I I do. I knew you would appreciate that because <laughs> it was literally the first thing I started to think about when when he drops and I'm seeing the players react because all the years of playing football, I never once saw any. I mean, I saw compound fractures. We saw guys get knocked out. It was just like next man up. Let's go. And then when they came back from the commercial break and like the players are like crying. And there was no faking that. Like those guys were shooken up. And then I'm watching it because it was a big game. And I was like, they're coming up with every excuse. And I've seen so many soccer players drop the last two years from the same thing, you know. And then they then like within like 30 or 40 minutes, they have a doctor come on and say, oh, well, if you get hit just at the right time, the millisecond, between the interval of this and this on your heart, you know, your heart could stop. I was just like, oh my God, it's the Pi May, you know, five finger exploding heart technique, you know, <laughs> like, and I, it was like Kill Bill. And it, it, that's just where my mind went with it. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. So I've been, we, I've been kind of weaving on it myself, you know, like that's kind of the, that's it. I'm learning. It's such a fascinating social experiment how, you know, we see an anomaly and we are designed to fill in the hows and the whys and the what's, you know, the details of how this unique uh, expression of, you know, uh, with it, everybody's going to see it a little bit different. You know, a lot of people are trying to write it off. They tried to, you know, some people were mad because they quit the game and other people are like, no, this is this is pretty serious. No matter how you paint it, it was a serious deal. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Uh, but uh, so my my take on it was uh, that it it was much like a three day resurrection ritual. Mm. In in that um, we were about a week out from the solstice, so it fits with the three days in the underworld, uh, with the solstice where the mm. sun doesn't progress for the three days. Um, but one thing that hit me really hard about it was uh, how much it corresponds with a lot of the what I've been uh, researching and uh, finding as the significance of the specifically the Thoth Crowley fool card. 
Mm. And uh, that's just been a, a symbol of that I've been digesting recently. So of course it you know corresponds for me through my eyes mm-hmm. that the the Crowley Fool card he he has a unique fall. Uh, that that fool card is uh, falling backwards. Ah. And his, he's his he's kicked. His heels are kicked up, and you can tell fall is a backwards fall, which is unique from most other tarot cards. All the tarot cards I know of, I haven't seen one like that. There might be one that I don't know of, but um, so he has that backwards fall, and I've been seeing that in um, uh, you know, particular in a lot of places. Um. But then, so that that was significant. So that was like, okay, this is meaningful in my mm-hmm. symbolic literacy. That's meaningful. I've got, I've got a, a, you know, kind of a hit or a ding. But then it was a couple of days later. You know, you chew these things up, and you know, you get a little deeper and a little deeper. The that fool card, he has a bangled tiger on his thigh. He's being he's being bit by a bangled tiger, and it was uh, the bangles. It was a bangled right. helmet that hit, that hit him, and that was that really uh, uh, just well, struck he, me. Is I like, have I have another weave for you because you, you're probably yeah. the only one I could bring up. So I I grew up a Miami Dolphins fan. I'm still a Dolphins fan. I watched okay. the, the Dolphins play the Bengals in Cincinnati on third on a it was a Thursday night game, and once again they're in it's a night game in Cincinnati, and the quarterback Tua Tungavaloa he gets hit in the game and he gets he he gets hit he gets like whipped backwards and down. He hits his head on the ground and like he starts doing like these signs with his hands. He's like convulsing on the ground and doing these signs with his hands. And he was also taken in an unmarked ambulance to the same medical facility that they took Damar Hamlin. That happened earlier. That happened earlier in the year. I wa- and it was weird. I've only watched the Bengals twice this year. Both times I watched them, there was a player that was ambulanced off off the field. You know, so yeah, I was just like, well, there's something going on with Cincinnati, like the 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 energy of of um, what's that city called? It's like the it's not the Seven Hills. It's the Queen City, right? It's the Queen Elizabeth. It's isn't it known as the Queen City? Oh, maybe I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know that. I think it's. I think it's one of the two queen cities in the United States, Cincinnati. Oh, oh. there's, and it was just so odd because when when the quarterback for the Dolphins got hurt, Tua, nobody had ever seen this stuff he was doing with his hands. It was like he was frozen in like this hang loose sign thing, and he was just like, like quivering. And it was a big deal because he had he had played four days earlier and he was concussed really badly in that game and the team lied about it and said he wasn't concussed. And so there was all these things with falling backwards, head trauma, Cincinnati, and it so that was in my consciousness when I see when I'm watching Damar Hamlin and he did that. He got up, walked three steps, and just fell. 
and I knew, uh, like I, I've seen somebody put a cut up of all the pro soccer players over the last year that, you know, pretty much has the same exact thing. They nope. do what, what, whatever athletic move they do. And then they just kind of couple steps, bam, bam. Like it's like one after the other, after the other. So I was just really thinking about that. Like there's something with like instant karma going on with Cincinnati because mm. <clears throat> with the Tua thing, everyone knew he got concussed four days prior and nobody should be playing on Thursday. Like every NFL player, they hate Thursday night games because you just played on Sunday. Your body hasn't recovered yet. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's like, it's such a short turnaround. It, it's dangerous. So that's doubled and compounded by him getting concussed. The team lying, saying he didn't get concussed. Like he got so badly concussed. He was like, his knees were shaking and wobbly and all this stuff. And they're like, oh, he's fine. Throw some dirt on it. Comes out, <laughs> gets concussed in this game. And, and then... It's the same thing. The ambulance comes to midfield. They pick him up. He's like all like it was weird. It almost looked like he went into like an epileptic convulsion, yeah. like especially the way his hands froze. I've yeah. seen people with epilepsy. I've seen that happen to them. I've never mm -hmm. seen that with a concussion, but uh, apparently concussions can kind of cause that effect. But here was the thing. It was obvious he shouldn't have been playing. Yeah. And bam. In the first place. In the instant karma. Okay, he's out. So here with the Buffalo Bills, they were like the most staunch team with their protocol around the jab. To the point where they let one of their best players go last year because he wouldn't have it done. He wouldn't, he wouldn't get Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wow. I listened to I listened to one podcast about the NFL every week, and I I shit you not, brother. Th during the podcast, three times they would have a Pfizer commercial, the same right. commercial three times, three times, three right. times, three times. It's maddening. It was short little podcast. Who wants to hear three commercials, let alone three commercials for that crap? And the, right. every single Pfizer commercial was talking about in a game, you have to make, you know, quick decisions and be responsible. <laughs> so here it is. I'm like, okay, you know, he goes down the whole thing, the whole thing shuts down. And it's just like, this is the NFL's karma. This is yep. the instant karma in the queen city. Once again, it's just like, you 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 can't i understand you know don't bite the hand that feeds you type of thing but like this was like there's some energy there at least in my consciousness that's just like no you you can't hide you can't hide here <laughs> you just right. can't and it we it, should start calling it we should start calling it vaccinati <laughs> man what whatever you're trying to hide there it's not it's not letting it's not letting people hide their their thing yeah 
You know, I I think I'm gonna rewatch uh, Will Smith's film uh, Concuss- Concussed. Did you ever see that one? No, I haven't. It's uh, it was it was good when it came out. I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, uh, Will Smith aside, um, and there's a lot there's a lot uh, a lot going on on the surface level. But now, you know, I want to maybe watch it again for with more penetrative perspective but at the very end if if you know if anybody's interested i recommend you know at least get to the very end credits where they do a huge reveal it's one paragraph long and it says so much and they just flash it and move on to the credits and that one paragraph okay so the story is will smith is a lawyer he's kind of uh and and his uh, he gets the job of revealing that football players uh, have been suffering from uh, I think it's called CTE. Thank you, CTE. Yes, mm-hmm. and he's and there's a huge pattern, and there's a huge cover up of the pattern, mm-hmm. and he has this one case that is. Uh, has come to the surface and is too much to cover up. And in looking at the one case, he finds out that there's this long litany of football players who their lives have been altered utterly by by their the brain damage that they're doing to themselves, and that they actually have this incredibly uh, dark pattern of uh, becoming abusive, uh, emotionally unstable. And it goes on and on for a prolonged period. And then the football players are actually whispering to each other. And they're like, you know, they, it's a, it's like, it's kind of like a living rumor in the community of the football players. They don't talk about it, but they know that things are happening. They see it happening. It's almost like a microcosm of what's happening with the Vax thing. You know, Mm -hmm. the people know it's happening, but they can't bite the hand that feeds them. Like you said, Um, well, uh, one thing that is, is wild is that the these football players start killing themselves, but they all kill themselves with a shot to the heart mm. because because they want to preserve the evidence of what ah. was going wrong with them, and that is a huge reveal that they all know that they should preserve the evidence so that they can connect all these dots. So what the paragraph at the end of the film is, uh, uh, the paragraph states that due to non-disclosure agreements, this film cannot reveal to you the uh, prolonged period that the NFL was fully aware that this was happening and that the film itself is not to be interpreted as a means to determine that time period that they were fully aware. So what came through in the film is that the NFL knows this stuff has been happening. They're totally, they totally know about it, and they've snuffed it all out with non-disclosure agreements. Oh yeah, I mean and they so, they knew it, they know it in college. Yes, they. It, <laughs> so so then so after reading that paragraph, I think back through the film again, kind of like the Usual Suspects, where you get the twist at the end, and you yeah. rethink the whole thing. Well, I think of how the film was laid out, and I realize they were seeding gaps of time in the plot without disclosing to us how long those gaps were. And Will Smith did age. He got older in the mm-hmm. film. 
but they can't tell you how much older. They can't tell you how long it took for all of this to come to the surface. And this one little paragraph at the end of the film that some people might have seen or read or to, or in read between the lines, uh, that's the disclosure for all of it, was that one paragraph we got in that film. It's so profound and so so diabolical, too. So, Gabriel, let me ask you this, because what is the ritual where you actually sacrifice like they make the sacrifice of of the of the of the young vibrant being um i know south park made it um god there's so many i know when they do that with like the the young maiden i'm trying to remember what that old ritual was but like the whole football thing like i don't know if you ever heard this thing about about my career but like i was concussed a bunch <laughs> and no. yeah that's why i glitch a little bit <laughs> when i say a bunch nothing like regular players i was just a kicker and so when i would get hit by these massive dudes <laughs> it was just like it was it was ugly there was a uh, my friends I guess it was my sophomore year. We were playing the national champions, Nebraska. And I kicked, kicked the ball off. And uh -huh. Lawrence Phillips, the, the guy that, you know, I think he was, I think he's still in jail if he's not dead. But he was like the top running back in the, in the country. And so he, get, he gets the ball. He's taking out of the end zone. But his fullback, Corey Schlesinger, who played like 10 years in the NFL, his fullbacks in front of him. So my whole thing is to like, I'm seeing the C's part and I'm like, I have to have contain, <laughs> meaning I had to force him back towards the middle of the field. So wow. Corey Schlesinger is six foot one, 250 pounds. And I'm five foot nine, 185 pounds. So physics wasn't on my side. <laughs> and he hit me so hard. I'm in the air for 30 feet. I get hit on my 40 on their 45 yard line and land on my 45 yard line. Oh. And this is on national TV, so of course after the game, you know, I'm like all woozy and like kind of trying to find myself and you know, I go over to my friend's dorm room and they had it on tape, you know, they were playing it back. They're like, look at Gardner, he's flying. But that was like the norm, dude. Yeah, yeah, man. Wow. Like as long as I could like stand and have my balance, like they, they're just like, oh yeah, you're, you're, you're good to play. Okay. Uh, and then I had our souls. And then there was a, I got hit by John Whitman from Penn State my junior year, where that was even more brutal because it was at the end of the year. It was our last game of the season, November. It was right after Thanksgiving. And it's 20 degrees. Well, actually, night had fallen. So it was like around, it was around zero with the wind chill in Happy Valley. He hits me picks me up and then pile drives me <laughs> at the end of the game. And I'm just like, I'm like tasting blood in my mouth. I'm just like, I, I had no idea where I was. I was just like, and so I have so much compassion for these guys. Cause they're literally doing that, you know, 
30, 40 times a game. Yeah. You know, they're more well equipped to handle it because their their bodies are more calloused and they're much bigger, but still my fragile little body <laughs> and like I was jacked for my size, you know, like you know, I could bench over three hundred pounds and all this other stuff, but like it's just physics. It's a car wreck. You're getting in a car wreck one after another after another. So now for the for them to come out and say, oh, it's normal to get hit in a certain way. And then, you know, the player just goes into cardiac arrest. I'd be like, if that was real, that would be happening a thousand times a season. Right. From high right. school, from high school up, there's there's no way. So yep. this is I, I knew my last season playing, I was watching, you know, I was in in the locker room after a game and i was just like looking at my fellow players and just like really respecting all of us like we were all like smart athletic entrepreneurs we all had our side thing going on our side hustle and we were all like you know obviously athletic enough to get paid for what we were doing mm -hmm. and i just noticed the one thing that we all shared was we were all injured every single one of us was injured and i was like oh my god this whole thing is so that the alphas take each other out we get rewarded we get rewarded to take each other out that's the whole thing yes yeah yeah they've incentivized the alphas to take each other out it's so profound it's so profound and then and there's a whole culture. I mean, it's not it's more than a culture. It's some, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, religious fervor, like, uh, you know, there's so much built up around the culture and that's just football. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just around football, which is probably the best example we have for, you know, for the immensity of the program. It is so profound. When you and, look when you look at when you do all your symbolic studies and you're like looking like maybe there's a correlation in the tarot or where does gambling what is gambling because like so they say right now the nfl is like a 20 billion dollar you know institution but yeah. the gambling around it's 80 billion right and and i just heard a headline that they're gonna uh, in order to get the economy back up they're gonna lean into uh, legalizing gambling more prolifically in places where it wasn't before so that 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 culture is just going to pick up and run you know that was my final thesis paper at michigan state was around around uh, the legalization of gambling whoa yeah it's a total farce we were doing yes. it because our, our study was just on the, at the time in the late nineties, it was just, they were starting to legalize gambling with the river boats up the Mississippi. Okay. And so we followed eight, we tracked eight different towns where they had just made it legal, where the, the where you could go, get off the river boat and gamble in those towns. Okay. And the pitch that each casino was making in those areas was that, Oh, it will generate all this revenue. We'll get all this tourist revenue and blah, 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 blah. It's the exact opposite. It has the Walmart effect. 
everybody's discretionary income gets sucked out of the area. Yeah, yeah, it has a it has a great lowering effect because the corporation that's making the profit doesn't spend that money there in that area. Wow, man. Yeah. That's so profound. Uh, in, didn't the, uh, in the Mississippi dried up this past year, too, in spots? Parts of it, yeah. 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 So they, so it's, that's kind of oddly symbolic uh, to come into the conversation at this, you know, to add to like the straw on the camel's back, so to say. So here we're talking about, so we started talking about your tarot scopes, like your, your, you know, this whole thing, this, this magi and his profile being the Mississippi, right? And then you have the yes. drying up the Mississippi. You have the Cincinnati. I forget which river flows right by that stadium in Cincinnati, but that that's a feeder into the Mississippi. Yes, yes. So you have this whole thing through the heartland of America. <laughs> Got it. Art man, good call, man. Uh, and, and, uh, in my territory, Cincinnati is in Leo. There you go. And There's that, the heart. That's the heart. Number Holy eight. God. Wow, this is man. There's so much coming together with this. Uh, so, wow, this is so profound. Um, so the uh. The Mississippi also, uh, one of its many secrets uh, um, is that it has seven branches. And the seven branches, when you map them all out, they form the uh, menorah, oh, the cool. seven branches of the menorah. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that that is one of the many proofs that uh, America is the Old Testament extended territories of Egypt. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I believe it's uh, Isaiah eleven fifteen, makes a mention of the Nile having seven rivers, and that does not occur in Egypt that we understand. It occurs mm -hmm. here in the Promised Land, uh, and also just uh, interesting note is that if you look at an aerial view of the H O R of representatives, the whore of representatives, uh, the House of Representatives mm -hmm. from above. The whole uh, layout is a uh, menorah, the way that oh, they've cool. set, set up their seats. So I believe that, uh, you know, those who are in the know are quite savvy with the fact that this is, you know, Old Testament land that we're on. Um, and that plays into that Mormon, uh, the Mormon mythos. You know, they've substantiated it to a huge degree. And then just a quick, a quick cap to make things to expand the Mormon thing out. I just found out that the Mormons are quite in cozy with Scientology. Yeah, they at are the top, at the tip top, and that that takes the problem and multiplies it by unknown, you know, dollar amounts. He so, I you know you know this about me. I've been trying to figure out for quite a while Antiquitech. Mm -hmm. I know that the majority of history that I've I learned was is inverted. I don't think I came from an ape. I know I come from very dignified people that could pretty much do anything. <laughs> and, um, and I have enough history within my family to know that my family was dignified and had great capacities and 
we're inventors and all the rest of it. So I'm coming from this space that there, what we're witnessing is more of like the Kali Yuga. We're, we're witnessing the end of the cycle. Like at the end of the cycle, you have decadence, you have narcissism, you have all these things that are, are like the more debilitating aspects of the the broken hu human psyche you also have the 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 people raising up at the same time because you have the start of the next cycle already starting as one cycle's ending mm -hmm. so <clears throat> one thing that really got me jazzed in looking at antiquitech and starting to understand geopolymer construction understanding how so many of these houses were you know, using the, the, the static electrical fields, the static bioelectrical fields to generate their own heat, the way these water systems, like all these water systems underground, you know, moving current, you know, just like yeah. such, such high, high level consciousness and brilliance that was going on. I really liked the theory that I had heard, um, you know, that we talked about in the Bible, I, I think it, I don't quote me on this. I think it was in Revelation when they were talking about, you know, Jesus, you know, goes to, he, he returns for a thousand year reign and then leaves and then his second, second coming, <laughs> his third coming. <laughs> which I was always, I was always confused by that would be when he takes, would be when he takes everyone up, like when everyone is lifted to that level. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a literal Christian in any meat by any means, but I like the idea of that as consciousness. So you yeah. had a thousand year reign of this Christ consciousness that was here that would explain these buildings that would explain so much of the brilliance of like the the Chopin and the Bach and the the orchestral music and just like just the level at which certain things were cultivated at such a high level and we were yeah. told it was the dark ages well we know the people that write history they invert everything so I'm kind of feeling I'm 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 getting really like psyched with all these revisionist historians that are looking into the North American continent as actually being the biblical land. You know, just the fact that the Mississippi River has ISIS in it twice. <laughs> uh <-huh>. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like all the mounds, mounds, you can't call them pyramids, but you can call them mounds. Mm -hmm. And all the artifacts and all the things that are here that right. actually point so much more to this land, the, the North American continent, as being, as being, as you said, like that's such a perfect term is calling it the promised land. Yes. Yes. Uh, and there, I'm, I'm with you. I love all, everybody who's like, uh, who's bringing this knowledge uh, everybody has like an, another ingredient and it's just stacking up to such a profound uh, vision 
and another fascinating thing is it's making uh, biblical understanding more and more valuable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like as much as, you know, we want to walk away from all that tradition and all the hubbub and the luggage and the baggage that comes with it, there are still like really deep, profound truths that deserve to be preserved and maybe analyzed and looked at again with the new lens. Uh, uh, I do. I agree. I think that, uh, um, you know, not only is, you know, the Mississippi, the, uh, the Nile, there's a fellow out there who's, uh, he believes that he's found the location of the Tower of Babel in mm. Quebec, in Quebec. And wow. there's a, there's a, uh, an anomaly in Quebec. It's called the Eye of Quebec is a, a, a easy way to look that up. And it's a, a very distinctly circular uh, ring of water that it fits the exact dimensions that are used in the Bible to describe the, what would that be? The circumference of the base of the Tower of Babel. And uh, it's it's a three day uh, walk to go around it in a circle. That's how mm-hmm. big this ring is, and you can see it from space. You know, they show you whatever uh, far off imagery of it. Um, and uh, his name is uh, his channel name is UB Space TV, uh, and it's all caps, all caps UB TV. Uh, and he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. Uh, he has a whole nine part series on how America is Egypt. Oh, I got to watch it. Yeah, it is really worthwhile. Uh, I really love his work. Um, and one thing. Uh, yeah, there's so much to say about that, but that's a, that's another really powerful confirmation. He, uh, You know, I think what we may also have here is that, you know, the. The Hyksos Exodus probably happened here in the Americas, and there was probably a, uh, uh, his theory is that California, uh, like right there near around Baja, Mm -hmm. California, was the location that the original Exodus took place. And there is, the Hyksos Exodus uh, uh, had to do with, I believe it's uh, 80-some thousand lepers and unclean they had a uh, a leader in his name i can't even pronounce it it's it's not it's not moses you know it's like a, a proto moses character mm-hmm. with a whole different name and he took these 80 some thousand uh they called them lepers because they were un they had uh, taken on a dietary practice that was considered filthy and so nobody wanted anything to do with them so they were exiled and they were cast out and so they started moving east. Well, that explains the mysterious 40 day, forty years of wandering. Mm. You know, you, ca- you can't get lost for 40 days in the Sinai Peninsula unless you're a dumbass trying to get stay lost intentionally. Mm. So it fully uh, consummates that, that mystery of how could you be lost for 40 years? Well, it's because they were in the Americas where you could spend plenty of time wandering around and trying to find the promised land. So that uh, that's really gratifying you know that aspect of his research um but then this is kind of neat this is me kind of uh you know piling on with his work uh so if that's the hyksos then what happened later the the next one was the hyksodos 
Is the Hicks so close? <laughs> in Mexico? It was, it was <laughs> right, <laughs> right. It's like, you know, a part two. Uh, so yeah, that's a, that's kind of a fun weave that it's like uh, the things that happened in America were the original, the, the old the older layer, you know? Yeah. And then the next uh, expression of that or the echo of it probably happened over there. Because, bro, the place. inversion. That What do they call this place? The new world. Yeah. So what was it? It was the yes. old world. Right. It, it's right. that simple. Yes. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, that that is. That's a really fun one. You know, something else I'm thinking about, wouldn't it be wild? This is just my imagination going nuts. But wouldn't it be something if we could – track some of these uh, sudden deaths and all these sporting events, what if we could track them along the branches of the menorah of the, of the Mississippi? And what if these, these died suddenly events, what if they're actually happening like candle, like candles on the menorah being blown out? Well, did they say in that, in that, uh, in died suddenly? In that documentary, that wasn't it the Ohio Coroners Association. Whoa! It was one of these. It was a. It was a. It was a Midwestern Coroners Association where they all started comparing notes. Interesting. And then it was like, oh my God, we're all seeing the same, the same thing. Well, okay, all right. So, oh man, okay. So Ohio. Uh, uh, Ohio means good morning in Japanese, uh, which is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and there's um, also, I believe it's the serpent mounds are in Ohio. Yes, they are. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and there's a lot of mythology about the giants and the culture of giants uh, having a lot of activity in the Ohio area. And this is kind of wild, but uh, NFL is, um, it's like... Uh, I believe it's nail in in Hebrew. NFL is like nail, fish, lambda. Uh, and lambda, hold on, I have it in here. I can look it up. Um, but what's crazy is if you just if you only pronounce the lambda at the end and you pronounce it nf lambda, it it comes out nephilim, nephilim. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, that that red hair beauty that kicked you in the face, she wouldn't appreciate you talking about the Nephilim that way. Totally, totally. Uh, but that, yeah, that is really something. Let's see, what is a oh Lamed, Lamed, NF, NF Lamed, which would be Nephilim, and uh, Lamed is ox goad. So it's like an instrument that you use to uh, to prod your herd along. So it would be, uh, yeah, fish. Well, let's see, fish, nail, oxgoad, uh, which is just kind of interesting. Just, uh, just an observation. I've always thought about that. You know, the NFL has a that sounds so much like Nephilim, um, and they are. They're you know large-bodied men. Oh, and in the Yom Kippur ritual, this is a, a, a able-bodied man or an athletic man is uh intrinsic to that ritual that sacrificial goat ritual mm -hmm. so the the clean goat stays in the temple and the sullied goat the one that they whisper their uh their confession into 
that goat is sent out on a trek on a journey and it's a five-day journey with 10 10 stations because so there's a half every at the noon you can take a break at a station and then at night you sleep and then at noon you rest and at night you sleep so five days makes 10 stations uh and i've done this on the zodiac if you start at uh if you start at aries at the pagan new year and you go 10 stations you end up with a, a birth cycle and mm -hmm. it and it generates a you know three quarters of a circle and then at the bottom of the circle uh down there at the winter solstice that's the end of the yom kippur ritual well the remaining wedge is a cliff that's the cliff that the goat's going to get dropped off of mm -hmm. so you you uh, you know you're making a pac-man sign but the the part that you didn't track it is the cliff that the that the goat gets dropped off of so uh, it's also your ABCs. Uh, 26 letters generates a nine-month si birth cycle on a full circle. So I've uh, I've done this whole thing with like, you know, uh, I always point out that uh, "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star" is to the tune of your ABCs, and that is that is the most beautiful. As above, so below. Mm -hmm. That's the lesson of the fact that your "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star" and your ABCs are the same. Because uh, the stars are the the highest cipher, you know, the the communication with the heavens above, mm -hmm. uh, and and so that's one of the fun little projects I've done is I've put the ABCs on the zodiac, and it uh, creates a birth cycle with the twenty six letters, and then I put the ampersand, the and per se and is uh, right after Z. And then I thought I was done with that. And then I showed it to our boy, Elsie uh, King, mm -hmm. and he, he picked it up and he filled in the missing gap, that missing, uh, the missing. Yeah. The other point. 10. Yeah. He fills it in with zero through nine and you end up fulfilling the whole circle and you got 360 degrees of a circle. Mm -hmm. So we have this really fun decoder ring that we've put together uh, but it all started out with me articulating the Yom Kippur ritual on the Zodiac. And it's it's so beautiful because the lamb is still in the temple at uh, at the spring equinox. And mm -hmm. the goat is off of the cliff down at the bottom at mm -hmm. uh, Capricorn. At right. The winter solstice. Yeah. So, uh, so that first three months of the year, what do you think that represents? That's the zero through nine? Uh, the miss yeah, the, the, the missing pie wedge there. Yeah. Uh, I think. Uh, so that's more like uh, that's the the winter season, so to say. You know, uh, Capricorn through uh, through Pisces, and in tarot, it's represented as the uh, coins or the pentacles. Okay. And so, and it's the earth element. Mm -hmm. um, and so, one thing that's kind of gratifying, uh, a lesson I've gleaned from that is that you know that's the time of year to be thrifty, you know, because. You got to um, make it through to the spring, you know, when uh, when there's a when the abundance comes back. So mm -hmm. it is like a critical time that you want to have sold all your goods and made all the money in the exchange because you're not going to go anywhere. You're going to be in the in internal realm. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's a good time to be thrifty. And that's what, what I think about a lot in the, with the symbolism of the coins. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, there is. So, it's kind of cool that you break up this whole thing with that cycle, you know, starting in the Ram and then ending in Capricorn. Cause I was just listening 
today to this whole the there was a notion that in 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 past advanced cultures they would time all the births and the and the and the gentleman was talking about <clears throat> um i forget which warlike culture but they timed it so that all their all the births would be in ram would be in aries and then their their um god i wish i remembered the name of the other culture or the the two cultures but essentially their opponent was having all of their male births in capricorn oh, that is so interesting yeah so just the fact that you brought that up and then you had the three month gap between you know mm -hmm. that are the there are the pentacles that's really fitting with where my consciousness was today because i was when i was listening to that because i've gotten into not just natal astrology i've gotten into conception astrology yeah nice <clears throat> and because my whole notion it's not my notion it's just a notion that makes the most sense to me is the subtle controls the gross so you know even before the zygote occurs you know there's the polarity collapse of the man and the woman together and then there's extra <laughs> <Ta -da! laughs> and then the and then the physical follows suit you know yeah, the the physical yeah. the physical is a byproduct of of the more subtle stuff and so sure. i've had some fun looking at quite a few um charts you know doing this whole thing that you just did like the you know having the 10 month gestation or the 40 week gestation period and like you know talking to different clients and then saying well what were your parents like did you got do you have any back knowledge of like what the actual conception was like like are there any like family mythos around the you know you coming into existence just to get a little backstory and then kind of weave and find and then like seeing the charts on different days and being like oh this is actually this is you preconditioning it's been a lot of fun. I think you would get a kick out of it. Totally. Have you ever ha, have you ever looked at your own chart that way? I haven't, but I'm totally into it. I'm totally into it. I I, ju I just learned uh, the other day that in Korea, babies are born one year old. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I had heard that, and then I'd already known a bunch of women in my old community that they knew when their kid was conceived they knew and so i was so amazed because i was massaging all these pregnant women and they would tell me like the the thing and i was like wow and then i had felt in my own in my own life being with certain women that wanted to have children i could feel the different energetics with that relative to just you know just your run-of-the-mill <laughs> sexy time but <laughs> the the energetics of it was so obvious to me when the when the female polarity wanted to be fully absorbed by the male polarity like it was a completely different thing and it was magic like that that was a like a, a that's where the whole sex magic thing is is in that <laughs> in that polarity shift in that full like 
that's the real supernova collapsing into the black hole then creating life that like that's 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 the analogy really but um so i started to get this little little thing in my the back of my mind of being like huh i bet you know we're not like our our bodies are obviously you know help us you know with the narrative and the story and help us learn and all this other stuff. But I know my consciousness is, or my sentience is prior to my body. Like I've, I've been sentient without my body. So who am I? Like <laughs> the question, right? And so this is why my mind is kind of gravitated towards this. What, what were the luminaries saying upon your conception mm -hmm. upon that spark between the male and the female polarity i think you would get a real kick out of it absolutely i love that yes i love that you know it's like uh it's it's totally new terrain to the mind you know and it like oh, it just opens up infinite potentials you know in in terms of like you know people who are into soul searching yeah I love I love it. And I'm totally down with the subtle informs the gross. It it totally does. And so here's here's been the progression in my consciousness. My ego completely latched on to me being a Pisces. Oh yeah. Because uh, when I was a kid, March the sixth, three six seventy six, all this, all this good three sixes, three six da 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 da. Okay, you're a Pisces, Pisces. So my ego developed as a Pisces. But as I became more sensitive to my environment, I started noticing like, huh, I have like a lot of different, I have a, like a lot of Aquarius in my consciousness. Like the more I would learn about all the different significators in each thing, I was like, and I didn't like that because I wanted to be a Pisces, like I'm a Pisces, you know? So then, <laughs> uh, then I started, then, um, I took a course in Celestics where it was like you, you did everything off the 13 moons and then there was the 13 constellations and you and I've had these long conversations about Ophiuchus. And so I got really entranced in that and then saying, okay, these angles in the sky are the angels. They really are. Cause in, when you're in celestics, when you actually observe the sky without projecting onto it, you start to understand that the sky wants to be interactive with you. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, oh, okay. And then my teacher in celestics, John Lamb Lash, he was very big about like, you watch the sky and you and the sky write the story together. Like you're writing the story together. It's a narrative. We're a narrative based consciousness. And I was like, that really jive with me. And so I was like, hey, you know, Aquarius is a massive constellation and like Scorpio is like nothing in the sky. <laughs> like how can everything be broken up into these even 30 degree segments? And then, mm -hmm. so then I was warring with my old self cause it's like, no, 12 is so much easier than 13 and da, 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 da. <laughs> so that I had to drop my attachment to being a Pisces my ego, my public self really wanted to be Pisces. Yep. But I saw in reality, 
I was born in the null zone right between Aquarius and Pisces. Yeah. So I, I have a lot of both, but I, I can't, I'm like, I'm an outsider. <laughs> <laughs> and so then going even further into it and being like, okay, I can, I, now I can even shed that skin and go 40 weeks before that point and actually see, ah, oh, Big Sue and Big Dave, they were, <laughs> they were at a disco. <laughs> <laughs> stay alive, stay alive. <laughs> i'm a disco baby so, <laughs> and then seeing the attributes of like the the strong strong attributes of of cancer and leo that are in my consciousness right apparently yeah. i i wasn't a full term i i came i came i came a little bit early so um it's really kind of cool to then like, oh, okay, the way I liken it, that's my private self. You're singing, <laughs> you're singing my song, man. That's exactly, that's so much how it fell down for me. Now, I've, I've, I've heard you and Chance be hinting about this whole thing when it comes to the placenta. Mm -hmm. Give me, drop some placenta gravy on me. Like, what? <laughs> where, where are you at with that? Oh man, it just never stops. The placenta magic is so profound. Um, um, well, uh, much like yourself, so I'm a I'm a Leo. Always was a Leo. Always identified as a Leo. Like, took a lot of pride in being a Leo. It was, uh, and then I got a whiff of the sidereal, mm -hmm. and uh, and funny enough. Part of that journey for me was finding out that Barack Obama is one day before me. Uh, his birthday is uh, August 4th. I'm August 5th. And when you go sidereal, we just kind of click into cancer instead. Mm -hmm. And just like you said, I'm like, wow, that is absolutely much like my private, my private side. It mm -hmm. resonates with the deeper self that is not one that I'm so prideful and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, feel feel committed to it's actually i've always been a cancer and it, and i'm just have to come to terms with that because it is it's a deeper truth on the private end i love that you said the same you see it the same way i did mm -hmm. also i want to i want to mention isn't so uh pisces is the feet and isn't mm -hmm. it so appropriate that you were a kicker yeah and i had these yeah. bounded feet like i had geisha girl feet because back oh. when i was playing I have really wide feet. Like I have like size 12 feet stuffed into like a size nine and a half. <laughs> no, I really, I have these massive heels because I have these yeah. huge legs and like, it's just, I don't have feet. I have like these like hoof things because they're really <laughs> wide. They have triple, triple E width. Wow. It was really in very high arches. So there was literally like no cleat in the world was made for my foot wow so <clears throat> i had to wear these shoes that didn't like i i love kicking barefoot nice. <clears throat> my my soccer coach figured out you know he actually we were like an undefeated soccer team in junior leagues for like five years in a row because he was from roma italy and he would just have us play barefoot cool 
And so we, we, we learned all the ball handling on our feet and our feet got really tough. And like, we, we would just run for days and then you put cleats on us against anybody else and we would just run them. That's cool. Yeah. We'd score, we'd score eight, nine goals and they would like call the game. It was just like, it's over. That's awesome. There's even something kind of Aquarian about the kicker as well, mm -hmm. because the because the ball, you know, the ball is coming down from on high. Yeah, it's like raining down on the other on the other end. So yeah, perfect. The Aquarian side of me is like I've always been like ahead of people. Like the, you know, the Aquarian is like you know seeing in the future and like is like titillated by novelty and like you know sort of like the the pioneering like looking and like and social but kind of in a shallow way yeah. and i i never wanted to admit that but like i have that in myself in the sense that i get overwhelmed in crowds mm -hmm. like like when i'm around way too many people like being like 10 <laughs> i'm hearing <laughs> i'm hearing everything and so mm -hmm. I, I start to get like, so, but with, in my consciousness, like I just look at all the things that I was first in relative to my surroundings mm -hmm. and it was like constant, like <clears throat> first person to buy rollerblades first, like, like I started a football recruiting website in 1999 that had Whoa. video, had video, digital video of, of players where we would go, we'd have the, the game highlights of the guys. We'd put them up against a scale model of a six foot four guy with, with a scale on it. So the, the players couldn't lie about their size. Nice. I would take hand sizes, real weights, and we would laser, we'd laser time them in the 40. And I, I was producing that in 1999. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. That ended up becoming rivals that ended up becoming a billion dollar company wow yeah like it was absolutely amazing like i just remember like I, I there's just all these little things like i got into cryptocurrency late 2012 like there like there's all these like that's my aquar that's my aquarian side it's just like a right. isn't the metaphor getting a leg up yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's so yeah. awesome man that's so funny I love how metaphors have, you know, like we took, I took them for granted for so long. Mm -hmm. And now I'm coming back on almost every metaphor I ever knew. And I'm like, this is, these are, these are alive, you know, yeah. they are alive all along. That's so funny you say that because I wanted to write a book about every cliche that's true. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. There's a reason why they, they live so long. It's totally, it's totally true. Yeah. So, I, I find when it comes to there's layers because we're all onions, you know, we all have like tons of layers. Mm -hmm. We want to identify as something. I always bust chances balls because he wants to identify as a ram. And I'm like, uh, I don't know, chance. 
I don't know. You got so much Pis- Pisces energy coming from you. And he's like, no, I'm a ram. Oh. Look at my ram hat. And uh, yeah, you got some. Yeah, I, granted, you know, if you want to be a ram, more power to you. Yeah. But you know, it, uh, go what, ahead. What, one, one interesting thing that uh, is just kind of coming to me, coming to me now. The, you know that second aspect the the sidereal aspect and like realizing how true it is whether you you know it it it, it sometimes it'll be years later where you where it'll dawn on you how you know you kind of facepalm a lot as as you as you process how how deeply meaningful it is you know so for me from leo into cancer with sidereal uh for my dream job as a child, back when I was in the Taekwondo, uh, you know, I used to read Black Belt magazine, mm-hmm. and I would see these guys. They were uh, the padded assailants, and they they do uh, they put on like super padded suits, and they run scenario based training uh, where people can go full blast, where they can like really unleash. You know, and you can get, uh, you can break all the dojo rules and you can really see what you're made out of against a person who's fully protected. And it it's basically everything that football players wear times 10. Mm-hmm. So we take football gear and then we carpet pad it uh, up even more. Well, that was my dream. I mean, always my dream job as a child. And it was uh, almost a lifetime. I'm in Colorado. I'm uh, still in Capoeira, you know. And sure enough, my uh, my sweetheart, my baby's mama, she, uh, her stepfather is a padded assailant. Highly skilled, highly developed, fully in the game, and he's looking to retire. Ah. And she tells me about this as we're, as I'm courting her, I'm getting to know her, and I mm-hmm. realize, like, this was meant to be. Mm-hmm. And so many things about my life are like that, where there's these long arches that I realize, like, I'm getting my wishes. And I should have, you know, I should be real careful what I was wishing for, but I am really getting what I, all the things uh, I ever did. So he ended up, he did retire and he hands the suit down to me. And he takes me on as an apprentice and he trains me all the way up. Uh, and, uh, we had to we had to reshiv the suit to fit me, uh, and so I became a padded assailant for uh, a few years there. And what is really wild about that is that the crab you're the crab man. You got the exoskeleton. The crab has the exoskeleton. It is so wild. So yeah, it's just so profound how much we fulfill these things, and and to some degree it gives us like a it compels us even deeper. You know, every layer that we discover about ourselves gives us more conviction and more meaning to our life. And meanwhile, we live, or we, a lot of us are surrounded by, you know, non-believers or normies or whatever, people who just blow these things off, who could never fully get behind your maxim there about the subtle informing the gross. Mm-hmm. You know, but we live in that truth. I we mean, it, it, we really do, man. I, I love that. I love that you uh, that you put it that way, because uh, I'm going to pick that up and carry it on. The subtle informs the gross. It totally does. And that's the thing, too, is like, 
especially with looking at the sky because i don't really know where we are i i i i don't i really want to know like i i have a that aquarian desire to know <laughs> you know like i'm always inquisitive and i'm always like wondering and testing and experimenting yeah i know the medium that we live in is extremely interactive and mm -hmm. giving my attention to the heavens has been one of these extremely humbling things in the sense that <clears throat> it's so interactive it'll show you exactly where you're at You know, so if you if you project onto it that these things are, you know, quadrillions of miles away and they're gas giants and all the rest of it, well, guess what? You get to have that interactive experience of, you know, being disconnected. <laughs> <laughs> But I had this I had this experience where I was in a, a ayahuasca ceremony and it was one of the more delightful ayahuasca ceremonies I had been in. And I walked outside. because the shaman kicked me out of the maloca because I was being too loud. I walked outside and I, I immediately recognized that the, the stars were talking to me. And I was having like this fully immersive, interactive experience. And like there, the, the, the kaleidoscope was zooming in and out. And I was like having synesthesia. And I was just like, I was like full Kundalini, like, what? Ah! you know, I was just like, it was awesome. And then in my mind, I was like, oh, you're imagining this. They're billions of miles away. And it all stopped. Wow. And this wow. was this is the year before the whole flat earth thing came out. Wow. So this is 2014. And I was just like, so the next year when that when my bubble was burst about space, and then I was like, Holy shit, all the things I'd been learning from the Rajas and the Yogis and all these folks, what they had been telling me is actually real. Like, I was like, oh, that's all cool. And I, I get it. And I see you got these like Siddhas and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm still in science. <laughs> <laughs> but then to have that pop off. and have that gone and then be like to be able to see the world anew again and be like, okay, now my love for astrology actually has meaning because, you know, astrology doesn't make much sense if you're saying the luminary is quadrillions of miles away. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, oh, I don't know where that is. <laughs> I just know the experience of its angles, its angels on me. Right. So now it becomes this interactive, you know, fully more subjective, immersive experience. And then where now you can write the celestic story of it. And then I'm seeing like yesterday, I was telling you, like just being in this hill in Missouri and everybody has like the Garden of Eden working. And so I'm, I'm really wondering if there was an age change. Oh man, that is so funny you said that. Oh, I've I've been I've been thinking about it in the conversation. That's just so. Go ahead. It's so funny you said that. So, uh, I I my theory is is that 
the the people that write the the public narrative they knew that a massive field was coming through yeah and it affecting leo the heart affecting cardiopulmonary area oh my gosh and so they they dubbed it they tried to they they tried to do what they do invert it and they called it the corona bringing it up to the head they put everybody in their head when it was really about the heart opening so my experience with whatever that was was it was intense but it wasn't didn't kill me oh i'm not dead yet my heart opened and ever since then, ever since I had the samskaras, all of like the latent tendencies torn off my heart chakra, dude, my life is exactly the way I'm scripting it. I love that, Topher. I love that, brother. It's been too, it's been too solid. It's been two solid years of like, I'm not saying everything's easy because it's not, but I'm just saying like, mm -hmm. if I give my attention to something long enough with enough intention, mm -hmm. you know, staying centered in myself and not like grasping at it, there it, it comes about. In mm -hmm. the other sentient beings in my, in my consciousness, I'm seeing the same thing happening for them. And I don't remember before what they call Corona, it being that way. Yeah. I remember it being somewhat like that, you know, cause not to sound pompous, but I've always gotten what I've wanted, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. maybe not in the way I thought, but like, if I really want something, it happens. So, but this is different. This is like, a f it's like a field of everybody's kind of like surprised that everything's just kind of happening for them in the way they want it. and they and they don't know exactly how it's not like you know when you and i were coming up it was like you were told okay you're gonna do this you're gonna make this money you're gonna buy this and da 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 da, da. and you get what you want protestant work ethic and you pay you you get what you want by paying for it by working hard but have you noticed that's not the way shit's happening now <laughs> right yeah man the weak the weak or the meek the meek are inheriting the earth <laughs> and it's it like people are getting what they want and yes people are still working hard but it's not like it's not i'm not witnessing in in, in the grind mm -hmm. like the people that are embracing this more this more interactive aspect that you and i are talking about and touching upon the grind the grind the the millstone that was around a lot of people's necks isn't there like it used to be so I'm wondering if there was an age change. There's something with the synchronicities and the level and the amount of people that I'm seeing that are like, just like what you guys do with weaving spiders and all that stuff. If I could, if I could stay up that late, I would love to do that. But you guys just go. Yeah, it is. Not, it's nuts. <laughs>
I'm not I'm not a night person, so yeah. <clears throat> if you did that at like four o'clock in the morning, I'm there. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so what what do you think it is? Do you think there's been an age change? Do you think there's like what is it? Yeah. This, this is far out. This is really far out. I was uh, I got I was inspired into this concept about a year ago. And it was so powerful and, and kind of intimidating uh, that I actually, I have to confess, I kind of put it away. I kind of set it aside. But sometimes I get into something that gets so powerful that it's so compelling that I get a little bit intimidated and I have to get some distance uh, because because I feel already detached enough from you know, this reality, the consensus reality, I'm already detached enough. But some of these, uh, whatever, rabbit holes or concepts, they can, they can, they have a lot, they have, there's an undercurrent that can sweep you away. And so I'll just share the, I'll just share the info with you uh, because it's, 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 it's a little bit difficult to confirm or deny. It, it kind of leaves you in the Raven's paradox where, or, or the, you know, uh, if you can't touch it, well, I'll, I'll explain. So there's a, a few people out there on, on the internet, uh, and I can maybe uh, get some links to you, that have made the claim that the four royal stars have shifted out of their stations. So like Re Regulus isn't any longer in Leo? That's the claim. That and what is, and they've actually, uh, they actually have specific years that each of the royal stars, which create the four corners, uh, or the I believe it's the tetramorph, uh, it's the you know the four corners, the the cube. you know that yeah, yeah you know that that they have all shifted, uh, what would be considered forward one station. And to different to varying degrees, but they're no longer where they were before. In the years, are uh, it starts way back in the 1500s. Was like when I'm, I'm going to get this wrong because I don't have the info in front of me. But it's like Ontario's shifted first back in the 1500s out of its primary station that it's recorded at, but they still in the star charts they keep it in its place but in the real actual heavens the empirical sidereal heavens that it's no longer there. sacrilege you're not allowed to actually use real sightings of stuff oh. up there <laughs> right that's the that's the trick here you know it's like if it had shifted then the high priests of astrology have kept that under under wraps right and so then came um I'm not sure the order, but I do know. So the other, uh, so then came Fomal Halt, and then came Aldebaran, and the last one of the four to shift out of place was Regulus of the Leo, which comports to what you were saying about the shift from the heart, and that that shift of Regulus officially came into place in 2012. That's awesome. And and that is the year that Regulus broke its placement from the Leo, from the heart of the lion, mm -hmm. and had 
uh, I believe uh, it is the this claim is that it is shifted towards Virgo just ever so enough so that now Regulus is officially in Virgo. And that is so huge because look since 2012, what's happened to the Royals? Right. Overall. You got it, man. It makes so many things make sense. But then, so I did a couple of videos on my channel about it. I was getting really excited about it. I shared it with chance. Uh, uh, my buddy, Rachel, she was in, mm -hmm. she, and she was doing some, uh, you know, helping me, uh, do the research on it. She was bringing forward some of these people from the internet who have, you know, done, uh, written about the, this concept. But for me, so I was interpreting the implications of it, like you just did with the Royals and seeing in how many ways it makes sense. But I, I, I confess that I kind of uh stalled myself out because stellarium all these all these means that we have to measure the sky they're all superficial they're all controlled by the priest class so to say and mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not particularly savvy enough as an astronomer to do it sidereally mm -hmm. to prove it or disprove it sidereally so it could be it could be happening right in front of me but i'm not that dialed in to be able to say that is regulus and that is no longer where it should be uh so there's a bit there's a bit of a catch you know i have to still make a bit of a leap uh and so i i kind of stowed the i stowed the concept aside and it's been in my pocket it still comes back i still think about it a lot but i don't want to be the guy who's out there, you know, hooting and hollering that the sky has fallen or the sh stars have shifted when I don't have enough sufficient proof other than the fact that it makes so much sense. What, it, uh, so so it, I'm going to do some research on this because this, okay. this makes a lot of sense to me. Isn't it wild how much sense it makes? It, uh, 2012 was the Smith Modernization Act. Oh, man. In the Smith Modernization Act, this is kind of fun, but it's got propaganda. So, um, yeah, man. Yes, and so so if all the four royal stars, which would have been in fixed positions, they would have been in the fixed signs, and if they've all shifted forward one sign, that means all of the all of the uh, royal stars are now mutable. And so this is, it's all coming back to me, the depth of the weave that I did. So that means that the four mute, the four fixed stars are now four mutable stars, which explains for one, Smith Modernization Act has four mutable T's in the title. Oh LGBT, my goodness, I'm looking at it right now. LGBT plus, Walt Disney plus, Amazon plus all of these mutable signs are making so much more sense now. And, and the, the, the magnitude of the implications are so heavy. They're so heavy that that's kind of what scares me. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. It was heavy. Once it goes, <laughs> mute, once it goes mutable, look at that. Yeah. No, no, I look at it, it's not heavy. This is this actually makes sense because you know, I don't 
I'm just an amateur at all this also. I'm looking at the sky. I see on, you know, the the spring equinox, you know, the the sun's still rising, you know, exactly where it should be. We're still in the age of of Pisces, you know, if that's how you actually read it. Yeah. But I'm like, something shifted. There is a, a considerable shift. And then I'm like, it's not because I'm in middle age. It's apparently, everything's supposed to get harder uh-huh. <laughs> or whatever. And I'm just like, there's a there's a quality to life now that is more mutable. And is this it? this is the thing about it, too, is my days go much much better for me if I do not have a fixed plan. (laughs) I get so much more done. I will literally get so much more done if I just read the room, read the temperature of, of what needs to kind of get in a flow state and then let the day unfold the way it needs to unfold instead of me being like the the capricorn side of me being like no i have to have a schedule and meet da, 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 da. when i do that like life is hell like yesterday like you and i were supposed to get together right and, like the whole day like the way it was playing out was like i was just like if i do this i'm gonna have no juice like i'm literally gonna like i'm i'm dead and just the fact that we had the flexibility to be able to shift and go hey then oh tomorrow is so much better and all the rest of it every for me too every day is like that now for me with almost everything wow man wow Uh, there is so much to this i'm glad i'm glad you're kind of giving me the spirit to bring it back up because there is so much to it you know it plays into the to the two thieves in the crucifixion scene. Do tell. So uh, if Christ is the fixed, he's the crucifix. Um, so uh, the signs for fixed, mutable, and cardinal. Uh, cardinal, yep. Uh, uh, people do it different ways, but the way that I learned was that a cardinal cross is an arrow pointing up, is the cardinal cross. And then the fixed cross is a crucifix, like mm-hmm. Jesus' cross. And then the mutable is uh, either a, a plus sign or a multiplication sign. Either way is, is uh, the mutable. And so Christ is the, he's the fixed. He's, you know, the, he's the, uh, he's repaired, uh, you know, and he's on the crucifix. Um, and so the thief on his one side, and I actually forget which is right or left, but the thief to the one side who uh, who refuses to change his ways, who doesn't want to doesn't want redemption, doesn't want to change or to join the Christ. He is cardinal. He won't change his ways. He's determined to stay the course. But the thief to his other side, who is amenable. Oh, oh, hold on. The thief who says who denies the Christ. He is car denial he's, <laughs> he's, he's he's core denial he's denied the core he's denied his heart the center mm-hmm. so he's core denial uh cross mm-hmm. and then the thief who does uh agree with the christ who does uh 
there's a word uh, I wanted who converts the, the thief who does convert. He's a, a mutable cross and he gets the blessing of the Christ. And he's like, okay, you and I are, we're going to ride or die all the way to heaven. You know what I mean? You get the gift. You're with me. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so profound because that is the dynamic that we're describing here. The, the fixed signs have shifted into the mutable. They've joined in. They've, they've linked into that mutable sign. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's one of the many metaf- uh, metaphors uh, that this idea has brought to life in my research. And you just said that too with the T's, this, like the, all these T's that, because the, the, the real Roman crosses were T's. Yes, yes. You know, they weren't, you know, the, the depicted crucifix. They were actually, you know, if we're going to be literal about things, yep. they were T's. Yes. So you just brought up all these um, these T's that you don't hear in the act, the Smith-Mund act, you know, like this whole thing yeah. and the mutability of this. This really, I really like this. I, I've been trying, I've asked Crow, I've asked all the people that I really respect about what what could this change be? And this this resonates the best with me. I'm I'm so happy you said that, man. Because the the power of it really, I mean, I'm going I'm going to go back on my own channel and watch my own stuff again, just to kind of brush up on all. What the was it? What was it called? Because I wanna I wanna watch it too. Oh, all of my titles are so cryptic and weird. <laughs> I, I, you I said it. Numbered them. <laughs> I, I totally did. I should have numbered them a long time ago. Uh, I, I can. I'll try. I'll link it to you. I'll send it to you. Like it's, it's a, it's a little series that I did. And uh, essentially, it was really fun. I took, um, I took the old myth of Typhon, uh, uh in, invading uh, the Greek pantheon. And I dissected the ingredients of the myth and Typhon, and I was able to uh, to kind of relate all of his aspects to uh, to the four corners, to the uh, zodiac, uh, to these mutable. Uh, I'm sorry, the fixed signs. And so, I think I might I might hold on. Give me a sec. No, I I corresponded Typhon with the cardinal signs, I think. And when you take the four cardinal signs, I think that's how this goes. And you and you make a chimera out of them, you get the ingredients that make up Typhon, this monster that invaded, that made the, the Greek uh, pantheon run and hide in Egypt. And they put on costumes and there's this big cosmic war goes on. Uh, but the aspects of, there are things that Typhon his uh his bellowing like a bull hey 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 so so yeah. let's so the you're 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 hitting it so let's yeah. say egypt is actually north america yes typhon because we have to figure out what caused the desert of north america yeah because all the evidence shows uh, the way the desert is all throughout the southwest of the united states is something catastrophic happened you nailed it my man this yes this i believe it's the cosmic or the uh the plasma discharge yeah exactly I I, yeah that made the grand canyon in a, oh in yeah, a, yeah in a in a huge catastrophe this was typhon 
storming across the landscape and laying waste to the to the old ways. And this is why the Greek pantheon had to recede. They had to mm -hmm. run and hide. And the only record of the myths and the stories of what that pantheon even meant, the only remnant of it is hidden in Egypt, in the culture of Egypt, the agricultural uh, workers, the working class of Egypt. And there was an immense fall of, of just grand scale. So that is the story of Typhon. In the sounds that he was making, the bellowing, and some of the uh, attributes of his of his onslaught, you actually can take those because they're sounds that he's making. Uh, you can take those ingredients, the descriptions of what he's saying, and those ingredients generate the cardinal signs, the four corners of the cardinal signs, and then you take. So he was prophesizing the uh, the stations to come. In those four cardinal signs, you take those, and they're the composite ingredients of the sphinx. And who is the child of Typhon? The children of Typhon were the sphinxes. Mm. And so the sphinx are born out of Typhon. Which, so Typhon is the cardinal signs. The sphinx is the fixed signs. And the sphinxes have these riddles uh, built into them. They're, they're riddlers. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a lot to the riddle of the Sphinx. It's on it's on my channel. Um, the first you probably know the first uh, riddle that everybody knows about is uh, when uh, Oedip Oedipus uh, he gets uh, posed the question by the Sphinx, and if he gets it wrong, he dies. That's everybody's got it wrong. They've all died. What is your favorite color? <laughs> Blue, no red. Ah! <laughs> you, I think you've a lot of people have heard this one, but the riddle goes: What animal uh, walks on four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, and three legs in the evening? Have you heard this? I have heard it. I don't remember. Uh huh. I have heard and it. On the it's uh, there's a the the cover of my mythological encyclopedia. Is the is a classic picture of Oedipus. He's sitting down in the thinking man pose. He's got his hat on and his walking stick between his legs, and he's pondering the answer to the question. And he takes all day to think about the answer. And at the end of the day, he springs to life with with his with his solution. And he says to the Sphinx, he says, "The answer is man. Man in the morning of his life is crawling on all fours." In the afternoon of his life, he's walking on two feet. And in the evening, like himself, he needs his walking stick mm -hmm. that gets the three legs. And so from there, the, uh, most people hear that the Sphinx, uh, I like to say the Sphinx dissolves uh, as a result to him solving the riddle. But I've learned there was a second riddle. And this is interesting that the second riddle gets uh, un unappreciated. Because there it was a there was a second sphinx, and the second sphinx is missing from the pyramids. It's been dissolved, and just in the last year, they found the foundation work for the missing sphinx that has been dissolved, and it's the left hand sphinx, corresponding with the the our unappreciated right brain hemisphere mm -hmm. that is that is now coming to life again, resurfacing like none other. 
but the the second riddle is really fun um there are two sisters one gives birth the first sister gives birth to the second sister who then in turn gives birth to the first sister who are they yeah mine stop good <laughs> it's a good one it's a good one the answer is day and night which uh in its original cultural uh context uh the day was a goddess and night was a ah. goddess and, and they were sisters to each other their names are you know day and night they're two sisters uh so that was the answer but what kind of gets me is that d day and night uh is an acronym d-a-n dan mm-hmm which is the missing tribe, which is part of the missing riddle and the missing Sphinx, all these missing aspects disappearing. But then you put the two answers together, man, Dan, the Mandeans. And mm. that kind of, that kind of blows my mind that there's even more riddles within the riddles. And even uh, in my, in my uh, work on the channel, I think I pulled out aspects of like, of the original riddle that revealed like a, uh, was either it revealed the uh, pi it encoded pi i think yeah i think it encodes 314 uh but that's all that's all whatever just bells and whistles <laughs> for, for what is already a very cool uh riddle so yeah so the the sphinx is the you know is the composite of the four royal stars and now that is dissolving that is that is no longer valid we are now in the mutable age and lo and behold, here we are. We're realizing that Egypt was not what we thought it was. It is so much more. We're finding the missing components of the other half of Egypt right under our feet. That is so good, man. I, I want to end it on that. That uh, <laughs> Gabe, we we have to we have to we have to we have to roll out the the red carpet next time and and go for it again because this is just like. This is wonderful gravy. Um, please send me those links to the, that video because the disintegrated sphinx. Because you don't, you won't even believe the weave I was on earlier today talking with uh, Doctor Narcolongo about the different ocelots and cats that the Phoenicians brought from the North Pole down, and like he was actually showing a lot of the Egyptian artwork of the of what people called this the sphinxes weren't sphinxes they were lynxes whoa that is so that's that that fella and i need to hang out you do he, he and i we have so we are and, yeah, we and, got a lot of potential. and he brought up this thing about the so you know in costa rica the money there is called the colone a lot of people don't know that the Colone was the Colones was the last name of Columbus. And so the beautiful thing about this whole notion of the United States or the North America being the old world was the Spanish were at war with the Phoenicians. The Spanish were the the eagle head of of essentially the Catholic, the Roman Catholic power. 
-hmm. and the Phoenicians somehow, some way, which they were multiple cultures that were in like a, a ocean bound trading guild that were going all over the place, but they were the, the, the main hub were the Finnish people and the Finnish were what we would know as the original Aryans and the right. Aryans had brought, you know, their, their culture down into what we would call the fertile crescent, which is the Gulf of Mexico totally. and, and something happened. Like, mm -hmm. I love this whole thing that you're bringing up with Typhon and, you know, the, the, the whole thing with some, something cataclysmic happened in the, in the North American continent that caused whatever culture that was here to yeah. have a diaspora yep. again. And then the Spanish, the colognes <laughs> come back, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, with the flag of the church of the, of the Roman Catholic armada coming, yep. come into town and reclaim. And then what do they do? They invert everything and call it the new world when they knew very well that it wasn't the new world. It was actually the old world. Right. And, and today we're, and today we're about to engage in the cologne wars. It's clown world. It's yes. so significant. It's so significant. And the colognes, uh, they also, I mean, this goes on and on. I, uh, did, uh, so the the Cologne family corresponds to the Collins family. Oh, I didn't know that. That makes and sense. Today, and, yep, and today we know them as the Collins elite. Uh, I believe that they have a hand in uh, Colorado. They ran Miami. The Collins people were the ones that set up all of the 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 pirating and all the rum rum trading out of uh -huh. Miami. And one thing that's uh, also a hit for me is the uh, the Collins family was targeted from multiple branches during the Salem witch trials. Mm. They're they're. The Collins family was in multiple locations, but they ended up on the uh, on the chopping block during the witch trials, uh, which indicates uh, uh, some sort of warfare, some sort of battle going on with those, you know, those power structures. They were being targeted, I believe. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're still in they're still fully in play. Uh, it's so it's so profound. And, you know, Colorado is the you know, that's NORAD. That's yeah. the that's the bunker, and it's wild. It's like they're it's like they they are now embedded in the scar that Typhon left. Mm -hmm. They're under the ground where Typhon carved out that the bunker space, and that's where they're located. You know, it's almost like there might be some kind of energy residue uh, from that. Well, there's that this event. there's this beautiful, and this is what we'll end it on because when I yeah. heard it today, it was profound the the one the the researcher has this theory and he is he's a saxer so he's like old old you know european royalty the saxers von saxer mm -hmm. and he had this theory called the spawn theory of nature and he's like uh i might be saying this wrong you know, like when, uh, you know, salmon will go, they'll go up the river to where they oh, were spawned. 
Yep. He's like right now in the world, everybody's going back to actually the origin of where they, where, where they, where their ancestry came from. And he brought up like the biggest Greek, Greek, you know, area of the world outside of what we call Greece is in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. Like the, the, the most amount of Egyptians or uh, what was it? It wasn't Egyptians. It was Turkish people are like in Southern Alabama. Like there's all these like little things. And it's like, you know, consciousness is bringing like, he didn't use the word consciousness. I am, but it was like, <laughs> everybody's being br brought back to the origin point. Like the the people that are being led by spirit are are like going back to the like the origin story of of their line. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I really I really appreciated hearing that. We're I'm gonna get I'm gonna get us all together. I'm gonna get uh, narco on the line and you on the line, and uh, we'll have to we'll have to go nuts because this is oh, this yeah. is such good stuff. Totally. So Gabriel, where where can people find your your work? Uh, Slick Dissident on the YouTube channel is my main thing. I'm on a bit of a hiatus right now. I'm not putting much out. Uh, I've uh, I, you know I call my projects the shared learning experience. You know I'm a I'm a teacher and a student all in one. You know I'm uh, that's just the best. Thinking. That yeah. that's the best. I always say I, I'm 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 sharing what I'm learning. <laughs> Exactly. Yep. the second the second i catch myself thinking i know something it changes so there's that mutable that there's that mutable componentry that is exactly it man i'm and i really do i love being i love being that way uh um so yeah slick isn't it but i'm also uh you know i get down on the weaving spiders webs uh as one yeah. of my haunts you know we 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 go all weaving long uh saturdays <laughs> to sundays nerds 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 <laughs> totally uh and uh i've also um let's see don't want to forget oh chance garton on uh yeah. Interverse, over on Rockfin and over our, on our favorite pisces yeah man yeah <laughs> you're a pisces chance you're a pisces <laughs> Uh, and then I've also been uh, putting a lot of a lot of hours in with uh, one on one, yeah. On, on, on his show, I've been uh, having all kinds of fun with him, man. We've put put in a good word for me because I okay. I I've been bugging Juan. I'm like, dude, I gotta talk to you because he's a Florida. We're both Florida boys. Oh yeah, that'll be a jam. And, and yeah. he knows uh, uh, narco long long longer yeah. as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, rising from the ashes, I've been having a good time with those guys. So those are some of the spots to find me. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of putting my channel on hold right now because I've uh, I feel like I've learned way too much, and I need to take. I'm I'm gonna I'm trying to slow down on the intake, and I'm developing what I've already established. Uh, and this is really beautiful that uh, uh, this conversation has kind of brought up one of my most fascinating discoveries and uh, i'm just glad that i could share it with you and we could maybe uh pick up the project and proliferate it you know uh expand it out and see what what germinates i i'm i'm on it because this this resonates with me i've been looking for this for a few years now but ever since you know 
the Corona, like, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about the Royal stars, Corona, the crown, the sure. four twisting, like, come on, dude. Like it's there. It's right yes. there. Uh, in uh, what, just a quick note is uh, a chance. He had a guest on recently, uh, John McHugh. Yes. Uh, I, I have to rewatch it. It was so dense. Yes, and I, uh, John McHugh is on a whole new level. He's bringing uh, this Lumashi star speak mm-hmm. into the picture, and uh, in the in the sky's the limit. All of a sudden, in in considering this mutable age that you and I are talking about, uh, understanding Lumashi and its potential is an amazing fit for this mutable concept that we're into because it gen- it uh, comports to gamatria, uh, anagrams, uh, reverse, word in reverse, like all the finagling of the information uh, is quite validated by uh, very well-founded, you know, official scholastic uh, information. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I want to throw this out there too, uh, even twilight language, you know, now that now twilight language or shadow speak, as you called it, mm-hmm. I love that term. Um, I believe that uh, it, all of this falls into I'm finding that it is falling into the uh, domain of Artemis, the huntress. And Artemis is an archeress. Ah. Uh, she's a uh, divine goddess. Uh, her acolytes, the young, the young girls in the temple of Artemis would spend their first uh, 10 years uh, pretending that they are bears. And Artemis, I believe her constellation is the lynx constellation. You're no shit. Come on. Which, yeah, man, which you just crawl right off of Ursa Major. You're crawling down off of Ursa Major and you land on to lynx. And then you go from there and you come right down into Leo and John McHugh and Chance, they focused that last show they did together on Regulus in the birth of the Christ baby coming out of the Regulus part of the sky. Mm-hmm. And so that being the final, uh, the final link in the lock that shifts the age is so profound. But John McHugh and Chance had no idea that they were talking about the exact location that we are uh, speculating has shifted in to the mutable age of Virgo. And so now we're all uh, looking forward to a lovely initiation. And then I got to point this out, Artemis, the art of the myths. And so when we do twilight language, we're tweaking, we're drawing the bow at, at a further degree. We're getting more use out of our language so as not to miss the mark right and so there's as a, there's to not certain, sin that's right to not sin and it is an art form yes the art of the miss the art of the twilight, miss is what twilight language is and we're getting better and better at uh at our uh speaking truly in so many multifaceted and fractal ways so i thought, thought that i might bring that all together Oh man, Gabe, I love you, man. Your mind is you. so good, and <laughs> I'm gonna be sending you a hundred different notes. And we're gonna have to keep this weave going because I, I definitely yeah, think you're on to something, brother. Let's do it, man. Let's do it for sure.
All right. Beautiful community. Big love to everybody watching, and I look forward to much more for sure. Excellent. I'll send you the links to everything. Right on, man. Likewise, I'll get you. I'll get you my early works. Sounds great, Gabe. You have a wonderful night. All right, Chris. Much love. All right. Bye bye. That was Gabriel Peters, Slick Dissident, my man Slick, Gabe the Street Preacher. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. This is something that you should listen to a few times. Take some of the references that he gives the gentleman that he talked about, who talks about Egypt as being the United States. I've uh, just started listening to his, his channel on YouTube. I forget what it is right now. It's GT underscore something. I think MB. Uh, that brother is coming with it. He's... He's really breaking down the Old Testament and, and getting into the phonetics of things. In the very near future here, I'm going to have my alchemist friend Moshe Daniel on. And he's going to get deep into the gravy when it comes to what, what a modern day alchemist looks like. And I'm sure we're going to wrestle a little bit with my ideas about the age that we're in. Uh, we got lots of good stuff on tap. Today I'm going to be talking with Tanya Harris and uh, we're getting into resonant structures. The, the whole science that uh, I'm exploring is the science of resonance. I've been a fan of sympathetic vibratory physics for about 14 years. No, 15 years now. Jeez. And uh, that's, that's the domain that uh, Moshe Daniel kind of started me on back in the day when I first started getting into his mojo cells. So everything, orgone, uh, bioelectricity, chi, prana, all these things we'll be getting into next week and probably more. <laughs> we do the tangential thing here. So enjoy your week and look forward to seeing you next week. If you enjoy the podcast, please support us. Uh, on the Topher HQ website, we have a donate um, thingamajigger there. So, donate. Um, <laughs> I'm getting into really heavy duty water purification, and that's not an inexpensive thing. And uh, very soon here, we're going to be breaking ground on the on the gardener domicile, the gardenian domicile. So, anyone who's built anything knows. All, any funds available really help so thank you for your support and please share far and wide